welcome to the desert of the real. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Much as you try to bury it, the truth is out there. Good afternoon and welcome to the Removing Confusion podcast, season number three, episode one, January the 1st, 2022. Realize that liars do not fear the truth if there are enough liars. That the devil is just one man with a plan, but evil. True evil is a collaboration of men. So, we're on a new beginning. Beginning of a new season of our podcast. And you know, some people say, why use a season? (laughs) Who says it's a season? I do. And uh, we've been at this now for about three years or so. And uh, it just seems right. The first of the year will be a new season every year, as long as the Lord allows and we can do this. So today's episode one, season three. It's also January the 1st, 2022, as I already stated. So what do we do with 2022? We've put 2021 behind us and it wasn't an an overly always easy year on a personal front we we've lost some very dear friends and some cohorts in the uh, Christian community uh, some guys who did really good job with podcasting uh, and other things as well video there's a lot of video stuff going on now but uh you know, we we lost them to uh, disease and death. We've lost friends. We've gotten bad news about others. And, you know, it's just been one thing after another all year, 2021. So we're not too upset to see that one go. They used to tell us when we were kids, you know, don't wish your life away. But, you know, I'm not really. I'm just saying let's take 2022 and, and see what we can make of it. And we got to start at the grassroots. We're not going to talk about anything but what I think is a good plan. Excuse me, a good plan for us as believers in Jesus to go forward and go forth and do the Great Commission in whatever way we can. Now, it's a new beginning, it's a new year. What do we do? What do we, let's look back 
into ancient history, and I mean we're going way back, I want you to think, you know, when you, when you sit there and say, well, what can I do? I'm only one person. You know, I'm only, uh, you know, a wife or a husband or a, a son or a daughter or, or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a preacher. I'm not, a, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a saint. I'm not whatever, you know. Well, if you believe in Christ, you're a saint. But let's, let's just leave that where it is. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not eloquent. I'm not this. Well, neither was Moses. Look what God did with him. But let me tell you something. Let's look at a, the, one of the first new beginnings that God ever perpetrated upon the planet. And that would be the flood of Noah. Now, as a fun aside, we're not going to go into what is really the common belief in real. I'm talking about theologians who know what they're talking about when they read Scripture. If you're talking to some Calvinist hack or, you know, some old-time guy who doesn't want to believe what it really says, then you'll get bogus reports about Genesis chapter 6. But we're not in Genesis chapter 6. We're in Genesis chapter 8. Now, I want, I want to deposit something here. Sometimes we can make assumptions or we can make educated guesses or whatever you want to call it that God uses certain numbers to give us what he's doing you know uh like the number seven is a is a number of perfection to god it's when he finished you know it was the day he rested after he finished the work it was his number god's number is seven man's number is usually determined to be six the number that i believe is for new beginnings would be eight god used eight people after the flood of noah or God's flood, after that flood, the ride on the ark for a hundred or so days, God used eight people to replenish all of society as we know it down to today. Genesis chapter 8, and we see where Noah Noah are sending forth doves, and then we get to uh, the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth, was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from the earth. Yet he stayed another seven days and sent forth a dove which returned not again unto him any more. And in the 601st year, it's Noah's 601st year, in the first month, first day of the month, The waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and beheld the face of the ground was dry. The second month of the seven hundred or in seven and twentieth day of the month was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives and with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, all the flesh both of the fowl and of the cattle and of the creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth, be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth, his sons' wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast went with him. I'm just 
paraphrasing down through, Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and of he took he took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Lord smelled the sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart, of the evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and the summer and winter, and the day and night shall not cease. So I read a lot more than I thought I would, but that's okay. It's the Bible, and we're going to talk about reading the Bible in a little bit. But I want to talk about new beginnings. We have in the eighth chapter of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we have the eighth chapter with eight people, and they've finally come to a resting place after a long ride on the ark with all the animals. And, you know, you got to imagine what a, what a time that would be. Now, they are allowed out, and the first thing that Noah does is build an altar to the Lord and offer sacrifices to the Lord, clean sacrifices. So there you have it. That's the the first thing we do is we thank God by our sacrifice of, you know, he brought us through a tough time, a very tough time. Everyone that Noah and his family ever knew are dead. All the animals except the ones that they were, which came to the ark, God brought them to the ark, are, are, are out there multiplying and doing their thing. They're looking, can you imagine, as you look across this vast landscape that you've just stepped off this huge boat and all the animals have fleed, but you look across this huge landscape, and the only people in the entire earth are the people that you can see right with you. You know, as each person would look around, they would see seven other ones and then count themselves and say, well, there's eight of us. What do we do now? Well, they did what they did because of what God wanted them to do. They became fruitful, and they multiplied. A lot of people try to say that this didn't happen, that this Noah's flood is a, is a fantasy. It's, it's this, it's that, and it's the other thing. Well, I can tell you from everything I've read in the Bible, it is not fantasy, and Jesus didn't think so. Jesus even made several different uh, allusions to the flood of Noah, and he spoke of Noah. He spoke of Noah like he spoke of Abraham and others as if he knew them because he did. But can you imagine how they felt? Noah and his folks. The work is up to us now. You know, we have to build homes. We have to rebuild society in do what God wants us to do. Now, we know there was some humps along the way that caused, caused some trouble. There always seems to be. But as we look around today, we'd have to say that uh, you know, there's people that say Noah wasn't much of a preacher because he preached for 120-some-odd years on top of the ark and nobody got saved but him and his family. 
Nobody joined them on the ark. But yet, I have to say this. When you look back and say they did very well in everything else that God asked them to do, which was replenish the earth from those eight people. Now, DNA tracking and tracing and all the kind of things that go on. Uh, the wife and I, we like to watch some, we, we haven't done it as much lately. We've involved in other things. We used to like to watch a lot of these, uh, true crime shows where there's a lot of talk about DNA and, you know, uh, a lot of times it's, you know, they don't know anything back in the eighties and as it progressed as they could go along. But I remember very plainly one show and I don't remember, I wish I had a video or audio clip of it where, uh, they literally said, that they could track DNA down to three people. I mean, beginnings down to three people. Now, that is a very scientific statement that, that, that this person made, but it also proves a point. It bro- proves a point that all of the DNA on Earth can be tracked down to three people, and that would be Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Again, I wish I would have, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to do some searching on that as well because it's interesting to know. And, you know, it's not that I have to prove this book that's laying here open before me with my hand rubbing it, <laughs> the Bible. I don't have to prove it. I don't have to do anything to make it valid. But time and a time again, people who want validity from it end up doing it on their own archaeologists genealogists all those fellows sooner or later they prove the bible right whether they want to or not and that's awesome i mean that's a great thing we need that we need somehow to say i can point at dr so-and-so over here and say he proved it whether he wanted to or not, he may be a secular scientist, but yet he proved what the Bible says. Now, I want you to think about, again, we're going to drop back to, we'll, we'll just talk basically about six people, which would be Ham, Shem, and Japheth and their wives. I don't, I don't know that Noah and his wife were uh, helping in the uh revitalization of the earth, the replenish of the earth. Uh, it doesn't really say, but we, we know they were there, and if it weren't for Noah and his uh, being, as the Bible, King James Version says, perfect in all his generations. In other words, he wasn't tainted DNA-wise. You know, there was a lot of DNA tainting going on, mixtures of things that happened in Genesis chapter 6 that I've not really spoke much about because there are so many others who are so much more fluid in it and know what they're talking about. But uh, I've studied enough of it, I can talk about it too. And one day we should. uh, So that those of you who are not or have not been informed about what Genesis chapter 6 that led to Noah's flood, it's well worth your knowledge and knowing. But anyway, can you, as, as we think about these folks from one family, they gave us what we see today, 
8 billion people almost. 8 billion people on the earth today and all the many billions that have passed on before us from their time forward. It was their doing that got that to happen. They're, well, God's, but you know, God uses man to get his plan done in many regards. Now, when we look at that and we, we look at what we face today, you know, we should be able to say what, with all the impossibility that it seems they faced, what possibilities are awaiting for us? With all the impossibilities that six people looked out and saw a vast landscape with no one on it but them, and yet we have what we have today, a society that's up and running and, and full of all kinds of good and bad things, you know, when we look out of our window and we think, you know, and I'm talking to you as a Christian and as me as well, when we look at these things and we say, well, what can I do? You know, I've been smashed down so much, you know, the, the common person out there usually gets from certain individuals in the church and in society. Follows are Jesus. You, as followers of Jesus, we can do way more. We can do way more in numbers than Noah had. I mean, we are way, I'm sorry, we are way more in numbers than Noah had. You know, there's way more people that claim to be Christian than there were that stepped off that ark that day. They had six. We probably have, you know, six Six million, a billion, whatever. You know, uh, when you fast forward into uh, the book of Acts, speaking of the 12 disciples and those that they brought to be disciples after them, in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, one of my favorites, and it goes with my buddy Mike's podcast, and when they found them not... They drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These have turned the world upside down and come hither also. They feared these people. They feared them for what they believed. They feared them for what they taught and, 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 and preached. They preached Jesus. And these people were afraid of the gospel of Christ. Now, why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the rulers of the synagogues didn't want their apple cart upturned. They didn't want to believe that this man who hung on a cross, uh, a, a, a very poor person, who could have literally, as he said himself, I can call down angels and they'll rip me from this cross and we'll take over. But he didn't do it. He was will, his, his will was to do his father's will. So, his followers did his will. And his followers up to this day should still be doing his will, which is his father's will. We have something that they, uh, that, you know, prior to this point, 
uh, when we speak from the, even from the Gospels, the, the Holy Spirit had not been indwelled in the believers, into the followers of Christ. Only when he wanted it to happen, he sent them out two by two. He gave them authority over devils and such. But they didn't have the indwelling until Pentecost or when Jesus blew on them. And, you know, there's so much about that. And ever since then, every believer who truly has come to Christ will have the Holy Spirit living within them, that Holy Spirit that tells you what you should say, what you shouldn't say, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And let me tell you something. He is not listened to by a bulk of the followers of Christ and those that say they are indwelt with him. Oh, they talk a good game. But then you see them, you know, and hey, look, we're, we're, we are we, what they call sinners saved by grace. But let me tell you something. If you slow down, if you allow yourself to think, if you allow yourself to ask God what you should do, there's a lot of things that I'm going to tell you from the pew sitter to the pulpit would not be done. The church would not be in the upheaval that it tends to be. It wouldn't have all this, you know, infighting, gossiping, literally killing people with your tongue. Now let me tell you something. Whenever I sermonize, it is not my job to terrify and terrorize and rip people to, to shreds. I am there for one purpose and one purpose only, especially especially in an audience or a congregate setting, even behind this microphone. Now, I might talk about people like Biden and whatnot, but we're not doing that today. That's a whole other thing. That's, a, that's opining. But when you get into the pulpit area and you start to point your finger at somebody and terrify them and terrorize them in front of the rest of your congregation, you're wrong period. These things are not to be done as part of your sermon. You're not there to vilify someone and talk bad about them. You're there to talk good about Christ. You can talk in generalities and make them so general that nobody knows what you're talking about or whom you're talking about. You, you Let them know this is what you, the people shouldn't act certain ways, and then go from there. That's it. But too many times the finger pointing happens or the tongue lashing happens, and it's a loser situation. So don't let some lackluster preacher, pastor, reverend, tell you that you don't have the authority, that you don't have the calling, that you don't have whatever it takes to go out and turn the world upside down because they can't. Because they can't, they think you can't. They can't because they won't. Oh, they'll talk all kinds of good game, but in the end, most of them don't do anything. Now, again, see, that's all generality. I've been around a while. 
And most of those guys are lackluster in their, in their preaching. They're, it's just dry, droll, and dead. The Bible isn't boring. The Bible isn't dead. It is a living, breathing document that touches hearts. It says in one part that those who fall on this rock will be broken, but those who this rock falls on will be ground to powder. I'd rather fall on the rock of God and the rock of Christ and the rock of this Bible and be broken than have it fall on me and grind me to shreds. Jesus' people were fishers, farmermen, fishermen, farmers, and tax collectors. They weren't from the higher parts of society. There is some talk that Judas may have been a little bit more educated, a little bit more uh suburban suburban kind of a guy you know they say iscariot even means suburbanite you know he was one of the one of the one of the ones who might have had a little bit more education a little bit more monetary background we i don't really know i haven't done enough studying on that but that's what people say and look what he was all that education got him nowhere he was there for a reason. He was a zealot. He wanted to see the, the overtaking of the Roman Empire, and that's not what Jesus came to do. But the fishermen, the farmers, and the tax collectors brought people that God just, he, they brought people to the good news of Jesus Christ. Then they faced lions. They faced stoning. They faced horrible killer empires and emperors. Those Romans were some of the most disturbed and disgusting people on the planet at the time. They came up with the idea of crucifixion in in their modern way. The Phoenicians actually started it. I think it was just on a straight stake. But they, they added the cross beam and all the other things and the whipping and the you know, public cheer, you know, jeering and all that. It could last up to two or three days. Now, the work, those guys, again, just like Noah and his sons, look what we face. There's six of us. They had 12, 11, and they brought another one in that were the, the founders of the Christian church. And they had they had a certain amount of folks around their family or whatever that would be there their friends that 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 took on Christ, but again they they faced insurmountable odds. They 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 faced something that we as we look out you know maybe unless you're in a in a, a basic Hindu or or. Uh, islamic country where you're very small populace of christians you face a lot of the same things they did death beating you know all kinds of things china you know the things that go on there so again these guys face those kinds of things now here in the western world of america and europe you know we don't face that we we have a a pretty good populace of folks who are christian the thing of it is, is, oh, you're a Baptist, you're a Methodist. Well, we can't associate with you. You don't believe in this or you believe in that. 
around our area, it's a lot of Quakers. You know, oh, you don't want to be around a Quaker. They do this. They do that. I'm going to tell you something. Give up the denominational tags. Quit being, you know, unless they're Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, or something like that, where they're just a cult. You need to start looking at your Christian brothers and sisters, whether they're Episcopalian or Presbyterian, if they're willing to hit the streets and start to preach God, preach Jesus, preach salvation, then get with it. Join arms and hands with them and go. I don't even care if they're talking in tongues, even though I don't go with it. You know what? If they believe in Christ, that is the foundation of every religion, every denomination. It's a better word. If it's founded in Jesus Christ and his deity, his shed blood for your sins, his death on the cross, then therefore you have something in common, even though you may find other things you don't. Quit separating between the two or three or six or eight. That is the problem. Oh, I want them in my church. I don't care what church you go to as long as I know that it's a decent preaching, Bible-preaching church. I don't know all of them. Trust me, around here, don't, don't send me messages wanting to know where you can go. I'll tell you what, I'd give you, I'd give you a few if you did, but uh, anyway. We look at these guys, though, the, the, the 12 that went out, and then they gathered more disciples. That's what, that's what they did. They didn't go out and make converts. They went out, and they, they made disciples of men, followers of Christ. And we have accounts that they performed in the, in the pages of our Bible. The fact that you have the Bible itself is accountable for what they did. Your walk with Jesus does not end with a five-second prayer and a lifetime of pew warming. So, unfortunately, that's what happens. And, again, a lot of it falls right on the, the whoever's standing in the front of the, of the, of the uh, auditorium on Sunday morning and other nights, days and nights. Whoever's a leader it should be leading people out into the streets. Take a bus, take a few cars, go to some neighborhoods, knock on some doors, two by two, two by two. People are too busy. Are you too busy for Jesus? Think about it. Don't be a lifetime pew warmer. You know, if you might live in an apartment building, spread the word around there. Try to get these people to come to church with you. If they won't come, you know, then they won't, but try. You are your own ambassador of Jesus Christ. We need to be active. We need to rise up. You need to share Jesus with anyone you can while you can. John 9, 4, one of my favorite scriptures. John 9, 4, reading it straight out of the book. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. That's Jesus speaking. He's also telling you to work the work of him who sent you. Him, let's put it this way in this regard. God sent Jesus to earth. 
Jesus, with his shed blood on the cross, bought you. He bought your salvation. And he brought you into the fold with his sacrifice. What are you going to do with it? You're going to sit back and say, well, there's a lot of daytime left. Let me tell you something. The last couple of years have proven to us there's not a lot of daytime left. A lot of dark things happened from 2020 right up through 2021 and probably will go into 2022 where they try to shut us out of society. They shut down the churches. They shut down the schools. And they left open the pot shops. They left open the porn shops probably. I don't know. I don't go to such places. You go to a liquor store. You know, all those things. They did close the bars, but, you know, didn't mean you couldn't get the stuff at home or go to your doctor and get a fistful of pills. We've had more suicides over the last few years than anything, and that's a, that's, that, those are, that causes tears in the eyes of God. The night comes when no man can work. And, you know, the powers that be, they may try to, to stop us again. But we can be persistent. We can stay the course. Educate yourself. Educate yourself, folks. And when I say that, I mean find good teachers. And if you, you're listening to me, you can listen to a lot of different people. I, I, I'm thankful that you do. And I hope that you can pass podcasts like this on to others. Get them involved. Let them know that you know, they're not alone. That's the problem when, 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 when government overreach hits us and we're locked in again, if that happens, we need each other. You know, the telephone's a great piece of equipment, but so is podcasting at this point, videos from churches and all the other things. Educate yourself. Find good teachers. Read the Bible daily. Now, we're going to end with a little bit of information here. I use giant print Bibles. <laughs> which usually go, let's see what this one here in front of me. I didn't look at it. I got several. Uh, they usually go about 1,500 pages or so. Goodness gracious, it's got a huge concordance in it. It's a great Bible I picked up for a quarter at the uh, at an Amish, um, uh, what do you call it, thrift store. Anyway. This one here has 1,800 pages and 34. I think my other one had a little bit less than that. But what you can do is sit down and you get a calculator, unless you're one of those people who can do things in your brain. I, I just happened to have the calculator right there on the computer when I was playing around. I, I, I think the other one I had was 1,500 pages, whatever. And I uh, goes into that, you know, as they used to say on on uh, the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, Jethro and his ciphers. I got a couple of gazintas. Well, I, I went and I, I divided the number of pages into the number of days in a year, and I came out with a simple little number of 4.71, blah, blah, blah. So really, five pages. If you read five pages of God's holy word every day, you will reach the end of the Bible by the end of the year and maybe a little ahead of time. Five pages is not a lot. And, you know, that's another thing. You know, when you 
think about it. And you, you start in Genesis 1, if that's where you want to start. You don't have to. You can start in the New Testament and then flop over to the Old Testament or do a little bit of both or whatever. You know, just keep it so you know what you're doing. Five pages a day. But when you look at it, you're like, man, the double double columns, you know, and uh, there's so many pages and so many words and so much I don't understand. Don't worry about it. Trust me, when you start to read God's word, if you're really dedicated to it, if you really are seeking knowledge, if you really just want to get it in your life and get it into your heart, get it in your mind, it's not much and it doesn't take long. Those five pages might take you ah, 20 minutes at the most. I mean, you're a slow reader. And that doesn't mean don't study. That doesn't mean, you know, oh, I just read my five pages, I'm done. You know, spend some time in there. It's worth it. You'll, you'll, you'll pick up a lot of stuff that maybe you didn't know. You know, because I don't just read. I like to study. Second Timothy, one of my favorite verses in the Bible as well. Second Timothy 2 in verse 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightfully, rightfully dividing the word of truth. So as you read, you know, you might want to just study those five pages. Maybe that's what you want to do. Or maybe, okay, I read the five pages, so I'm on track for a year, going through it in a year. But I, I, I want to study something else. Go ahead and do it. Don't be afraid. You're not going to mess up your program. You know, keep your bookmark in that five-page increment and and just go through. And if that's all you do, at least you do that, right? So look, folks, for, as we wrap it today, call it an end. Call it to the end. It's a new year. Let's do our part not to bring the old year back in. Now, as we go down the road here with removing confusion... I know that there's going to be some things that we will discuss that are not going to be greatly uplifting. I always try to add a little something somewhere that brings God's word into it, or at least the Jesus Christ into the mix, because we aren't beaten by any stretch. We have won the battle. We have won the war. Until next time, this is January the 1st, 2022. Tom Richardson, Removing Confusion. Have a great day and a great year. Goodbye.